Hey, everyone. <laughs> Good to see y'all. It's been forever since I've been here. Are you impressed that I remembered to show up? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have, except I still use my calendar. <laughs> I don't think I'd even know what day it is if it wasn't for my calendar. It, it still tells me where to go, where to be. Um, but things are really hopping around here. Life is becoming very, very spontaneous. So uh, as I just conf confessed to Rhoda, it's getting harder and harder to keep time commitments. Um, so we'll see what happens in the future. I'll just be honest with you guys. It, it crossed my mind that it might work easier if I did this teaching the same way I do the Tao teaching, which is on my own time uh, when I can and post it so that you all have access to it. So there may be a, a change coming. Even since I've had the meeting with Rhoda half an hour ago, uh, I got a phone call uh, wanting me to turn my attention elsewhere. And I had just had to, to um, text back and say, I, I can't because I have a teaching, you know, I can turn my attention there too. But, um, and that's not a big deal, except that it's not feeling natural. It's feeling like I'm not able to follow the natural flow of life as it's happening. It feels like the commitments are like these um, stones, you know, stones are kind of causing a, a trip of the natural flow, if that makes any sense. You know, like the flow is trying to go here, it hits a stone and it, it trips. So uh, it, it's very possible that a change will be coming, but I'm not going to make this decision right this second. But the fact that I'm even telling you about it uh, probably means that it's coming. But I am here today, and uh, I, I want to go to 3.43. And uh, I will look at 3.43 in... The seven steps to awakening first. When the world is assumed to be real, the self is not seen. But when this assumption is discarded, consciousness is realized. When the world is assumed to be real, the self is not seen. But when this assumption is discarded, consciousness is realized. You know, sometimes um, it seems easier to accept that the world is not real. And it seems easier to kind of see the light, maybe not physically, but intuitively see the light in everything. And then at other times, it seems to be more difficult. It seems uh, the world is very real. Um, and the light is invisible. There may still be faith that it's there, trust that it's there, hope that it's there. But it doesn't seem to be as visible. Uh, and, and that's really what this is talking about. It's talking about as our attention shifts to the world, we lose the ability to, to, to literally and genuinely be aware of the self. Doesn't mean we don't have faith in it or hope in it or willingness for it. But to say that currently it is easily accessible, I'm a, I am aware of it, no. Um, you know, one thing that's certainly been in my attention, and I, and I know it's probably in, in a lot of y'all's attention too, is this latest war between Israel and Palestine. And, <clears throat> you know, it's heartbreaking. It's um, sad to watch what they are doing to each other, right? Sad to watch what they are doing to each other. Um, and I was just before I came in here, I was getting a bite to eat for lunch. And I sometimes turn the news on when I'm eating. I don't see the news on a regular basis at all anymore. But sometimes if I'm alone and eating, I'll turn it on for 10 minutes to see what's going on. And what was happening today was they were talking to Jewish students 
Americans, though, you know, not Israel, not Israelis, Jewish students in America uh, and how hard it's getting for them at school, how threats are increasing. And they feel like people are taking their picture and posting it on social media and saying, you know, this is a Jew, kill them. <laughs> uh, lovely stuff like that. And of course, we heard Rhoda talk last Sunday uh, about the same types of fears rising in her as someone who is part Palestinian, right? And it's times like this, if we really begin to focus on these situations, which can be very dire, uh, very hard to understand, cause sadness, cause fear, cause anger, that we lose track of the self. You know, you can't even have pity on the Jewish people who are suffering or the Palestinian people who are suffering and see the light too. So sometimes what happens is we allow the world to become more in focus. And as we allow the world to become more in focus to the exact same degree, we lose our realization of self. And that's what, and I'm not saying that isn't understandable, you know, <laughs> please don't get me wrong. Uh, I'll tell you what my first reaction was. It's funny because Rhoda asked me, in September, you know, if I could remember the last time I had been angry and I couldn't be remember being angry since November of 2019. Well, then um, Hamas attacked Israel and Israel attacked back and Regina got pissed off, <laughs> you know, so my attention went to the world. You know, my attention went to I was angry at both of them both of them acting like children once again, you know, this is how I felt, <laughs> you know, but, but what happened? My attention went back to the world. That's what happened. And that's what we're talking about here. You know, Ramana Maharshi used to always say, you cannot see the world and the self too. And so what this means is we have to make a choice where we're going to keep our attention, even under dire circumstances. And I've, I also confess, um, I have felt sadness this month. I have, um, this hasn't happened to me in, in multiple years. You know, we're talking nearly 20 years, I have woke up feeling sad and just, you know, looked at the day with that grayness over it instead of that usual joy that I feel, right? As the day went on, usually it would, it would lift. And I remember telling Jasmine, we were in Sedona, we're, you know, in this beautiful place and, and, and doing fun things and, I think we were going on a, a pink Jeep tour. And, and you know, I told Jasmine, I said, I just don't even feel like myself because I'm sad. And she's like, why are you sad? And to be honest, I couldn't even come up with an answer. Um, I think probably the answer was related to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict but it wasn't even so crystallized in my mind that I could say that it just felt, it felt, ha, ah, here's how it felt. And this isn't a little bit what, what my next weekly gathering is about, about it felt like the world had betrayed me. How stupid is that? As if the world owes me anything. It felt like the world had betrayed me. How? By being the world just by being as it's always been. I mean, how many times have Palestinians and Israelis fought each other? It goes back that, you know, thousands of years, right? 
So it's not betraying us. It's just doing what it's always done. It's our fault for having false hopes placed upon it. It's our fault for hoping anything of it. I remember I had a friend, she's passed away now, but, um, you know, she loved Obama. And I remember when Obama got elected the first time, she said to me, this is proof that we're awakening. This is proof. Obama has not been elected. This is proof that yeah, we're awakening. And I, and she died before um, Trump was elected. <laughs> but I remember thinking, so what, what would she say now? You know, if she thought we were awakening, if that was her impression when Obama was elected, what would she, you know, how is she going to explain Trump being elected, which is, you know, polar opposite of Obama, right? You know, we, we put these hopes on the world. We keep expecting somehow for the world to be at least to some degree the self. It's not, it's not, it's the world. And that's what it is. It's the world and it acts like the world and it goes in cycles. And if you pay any attention, you see the cycles repeating you know, I remember when uh, COVID came upon us, the pandemic came upon us. You know, most people were acting like something like this had never happened before. But all you have to do is open a history book and find out it happens about every hundred years. It just hadn't happened before to us. But it's happened over and over and over again. You know, the Spanish flu was the most recent pandemic before COVID. Of course, we've all heard of the bubonic plague. We've all heard of leprosy. You know, these things were pandemics in their day. Right? So what we really need to see is we are either going to be focused on the world or focused on the South. And the world is going to go through its cycles and some of those cycles are going to seem better and some of those cycles are going to seem worse. Our commitment to the self needs to be like the self, which is constant and unchanging. Right? It's the world that is changing, not the self. So our commitment, now I don't have to come on Sunday, November 12th because I've already given my homily sign up. No. <laughs> So um, our commitment to the self needs to be like the self, consistent, constant, unchanging. So again, when the world is assumed to be real, the self is not seen. But when this assumption is discarded, consciousness is realized. And of course, there he's referring to awakening, what we call awakening. So let me go see what I said in my journal multiple years ago, number 343. I asked, how do I assume the world is real? Every time I react to a situation in the world, that reaction is backed by an assumption that the world is real. Every time I am engaged by thoughts regarding some world-based story, that interest is backed by an assumption that the world is real. How can I release the assumption that the world is real and realize self, which this assumption hides? Do not trust my perception or my thoughts. Out of inherent distrust, which is the opposite of the assumption that the world is real, check within constantly for how I am to see 
what I am to think and what I am to do, if anything. So going back to the top, how do I assume the world is real? And this is the answers that I came up with. First answer. Every time I react to a situation in the world, that reaction is backed by an assumption that the world is real. So when I got pissed off at uh, Hamas and Israel for going at it, that anger, first anger I can remember in years, <laughs> now don't get me wrong, uh, this was nothing like the anger that happened years ago. <laughs> that was a huge bout of anger. This was a, but this was, you know, even, you know, course talks about even little annoyances. And this wasn't just a little annoyance. This was a little pissed off. This was a little pissed off, right? So when I got pissed off at, at Hamas and Israel, that was backed by an assumption that the world is real. And that was not lost on me, which is why I have been contemplating that and why uh, even prior to today's teaching, this is what my weekly gathering is, is going to be about, because this is what I have been contemplating. What I have been contemplating here is um, in spite of all of the letting go that has happened, in spite of all of the clarity that is here, there is still a very real attachment to the mind. I'm sorry, to the mind, yes, but what I've really been contemplating is there's still a very real attachment to the world and the body. And I can't deny it because it's in my face. Right, can't deny it because it's in my face. Well, I mean, I could lie to myself, I suppose, but as you guys know, that's not my character. And then, of course, by pure coincidence, as we all know, there is no such coincidence. By pure coincidence, this is really what the Tao lessons that I've been contemplating for my Tao video series have been about. And then today I open up out of the stillness and, and, and that's what it's about. So apparently this is where I need to be giving my attention right now is, is looking at this. And this is why the sadness is here too. I couldn't pin it down that day when I was in Sedona with Jasmine. I just couldn't pin it down. You know, it's funny because some of you guys know I was supposed to be going to Sedona to get married and, and that didn't happen. But I knew that wasn't why I was sad. I absolutely knew that was not the problem. <laughs> Most people would think, well, you're supposed to be getting married. This is why you're sad. Like, no, that's not even on my mind. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> that's not it. It was deeper than that. You know, in fact, I would have called it the world's sadness, not Regina's sadness for not getting married. It's the world's sadness is what it felt like. I had a conversation with Ruby one night while I was in Santa Fe. She and I were talking. And uh, she said, uh, um, of course, I can't remember her exact words. Y'all know that. But the gist of what Ruby said was, something about she's been noticing lately how attached she still is to the world. And I said, me too. Like me too. That's right where I'm at is noticing that. And this sadness comes from the part of the mind, but I, I don't want to, I want to say the part of me because I don't want to deny it. I don't want to throw it to the side. You know, I want to, have claim it. I want to have responsibility for it for the purpose of looking at it, right? So the part of me that unconsciously has still been putting hopes on the world is sad because it sees the world is never going to live up to my hope for it. It's just sad. I mean, you know, I've been to Israel three times. 
And, um, you know, I've, I've taught, you know, I've been, when I've been to Israel, I have been to West Bank. I've never been to Gaza, of course, but I've been, um, you know, there's actually a wall in, in Jerusalem, like there is in Berlin, and the other side of the wall is Palestinians. I've been on the other side of the wall with the Palestinians. So I've been in the West Bank with Palestinians. I've been on the other side of the wall in Jerusalem with the Palestinians. I've talked to the Palestinians. Of course, I've talked to Israelis. Uh, I like them all. I like them all. You know, I like them all. But again, so this is this, there's this sadness. And the sadness, I'm certain, comes from wanting the world to be different than it is. Wanting Israelis and Palestinians to realize that they are quite literally, physically, brothers. Right? I mean, they... They traditionally have the same father, a guy we call Abraham, right? They traditionally have the same father. Us white people, we're not a part of that family physically. We're not, right? We don't have that father. We converted to Abraham. <laughs> we weren't born to Abraham. But the Palestinians and the Israelis were. And I was on a tour once in Israel, and our tour guide told us that DNA can actually identify that physical connection between the Palestinians and the Israelis, that it's there in the DNA. And he said, and he said, and you won't find that in the DNA of the Gentiles, right? I mean, us white people, we're not a part of that. So there's a part of me that wants them to accept your brothers, love each other, act like brothers. I'm wanting them to do what they may never, ever do. And this is why I'm sad. But what I have to look at is who's the one wanting it? Who's the one wanting the world or anything in the world to behave in the way I want it to behave? That's my attachment to the world and my attachment to the body and my attachment to the mind. So how do I assume the world is real? It's the assumption that the world is real that is rising up here, you see? How do I assume the world is real? Every time I react to a situation in the world, every time, not, you know, if I react to this degree, right? Every time I react to a situation in the world, that reaction is backed by an assumption that the world is real. I wrote this probably in 2012. You know, I didn't know today was going to come in the way that it has. I didn't know that this was going to be in my face in the way that it is. Isn't that amazing how things work? How do I assume the world is real? Every time I react to a situation in the world, that reaction is backed by an assumption that the world is real. So this sadness is telling me I'm still attached to the world as real. I remember also I used to read this book, Ram Dass, not um, Ram Dass the American, but Ram Dass the Indian. <laughs> um, I, I, he has a, a trilogy of books and, uh, you know, Ram Das was like an Indian saint. I mean, you know, he was amazing. He, you know, he puts every one of us to shame with his dedication. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Amazingly dedicated this guy, Ram Das. And he would, you know, he would say this mantra all the time, all the time, all the time. And all he did was focus on his mantra. And I remember one particular story where 
he was supposed to be taking a train somewhere. And I don't remember all the details, but he wasn't focused on the train schedule because he was focused on his mantra. And some guy he didn't even know called him and you know came and got him and took him to the train. So I think you're supposed to be on this train. And then he's still saying his mantra and he doesn't have any money and he doesn't even ask for money. Somebody else notices, oh, you're supposed to be on the train. Well, you need a ticket. You don't have a ticket. Let me buy your ticket. Like just like everything was happening. And all he did was focus on the mantra, focus on God, right? And yet in one of his books, there's this, you know, he'd write these letters to God, which really were just like our journaling kind of thing. In this letter to God, he's telling God how uh, weak he is, you know, how I don't remember his exact words again, but how far he is from the realization of God. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh my God, like this guy was perfectly committed. And yet he feels that he's far from God. You know, another person that did this that you all know is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was also very deeply committed. I mean, think of the things that she did. And she wrote a letter, I think, to her mentor telling her mentor how far she was from God and how lost she felt from God. And I read it, I thought, oh my God. But do you know that's arising in me now? Only thanks to them, I don't feel lost in it. It feels like it might be another one of those passages that we go through where you know you like you made all this progress all this progress and you were aware of all this progress you made and then suddenly you become aware maybe not suddenly but in my case suddenly you become aware of the progress you haven't made yet right and that's where this feeling arises it doesn't actually discount i mean i i, I certainly didn't discount ram das's commitment when he wrote that, I didn't discount Mother Teresa's incredible compassion when she wrote that. And so as a result of them coming first, I am not discounting uh, my commitment or my progress or anything else. They're giving me the ability to look at this with, I'm going to call it right-minded eyes. But I will tell you, there is a... Um, a strong awareness of, and, and please forgive the words, because, you know, they're just words, of the progress that isn't made, of what still remains to be transcended. Very strong. But I'm not sad about that. Isn't that funny? I'm actually happy about that. Because it feels to me, it seems like it's always been this way, that when something is ready to be healed, it gets bigger. Right? So I'm actually happy about it. But it's what's here right now. And another thing I know is... Uh, you never know in advance how something is going to be healed. You know, you never know in advance what you will go through in that healing process. Only in hindsight can you tell those stories. But you can be aware that something is big in your awareness now. You can be aware that it's showing up everywhere. Uh, and you can know, you know, it's like the iceberg, right? That rises up so that the light of the awareness can melt it. But it can't be melted as long as it stays underneath the cold, cold waters. It has to rise up into the sun, into the awareness of, so that it can be melted. And this is why sometimes with some of you, when you've been 
going through what seems like really challenging times. <laughs> like, you know, that the shame is so strong, you can taste it in your mouth or, or you're so afraid you're waking up in the middle of the night shaking. And, and you tell me, and I'm like, good. <laughs> I know some of y'all experience that good. <laughs> like, I know this is no fun, but this is good. This is why it's good. Because it has to do that. It has to come up in order for the light of awareness to shine on it. So it's good when the fear gets scarier, when the unworthiness gets more shameful, and when the attachment to the world is leading you to wake up sad, even though all you felt is joy for the last several years. It's good. That is progress. This is why Jesus says in the course that you don't know your advances from your retreats. Because sometimes those advances feel like retreats. You know, if I didn't have this clarity, and, and, and praise the Lord that I do, uh, in a moment I'll go back and give credit to why I have this clarity. But if I didn't have this clarity, I could be listening to all kinds of crazy ego thoughts about, uh, oh, I'm backsliding. I'm not as committed as I was before I retired. I'm spending more time focused on moving into a new house and being working with an HOA and, you know, and all this stuff and, and, and I'm backsliding, but that would just be the ego. Because every time you are moving forward into a healing, it feels like backsliding. And I already know that. So I'm okay with where I am. I said I would go back and give credit. And I've given this credit multiple times, but I'll give the credit one more time. It's Peace Pilgrim. You know, the very first book I read on the spiritual path. Well, was it first? I think it might have been second. I might have read A Return to Love first. But a return to love is nothing like Peace Pilgrim, or at least it wasn't to me. So Peace Pilgrim feels like the real first book. Um, but she talked about those hills and valleys of the spiritual path, right? She said you, you, you have this hill, hilltop, and it's in the hilltops when you're feeling the joy, peace, in the flow, everything's going well. Seems that way to you, right? And she says, but then you go into the valley. And the valley, the way she worded, is where you go to learn your lessons. But the way I word it is the valley is when the ego is rising up so that it can be seen through, let go, healed. And if you never go into the valley, you're, you can't progress. So it's a series of hills and valleys. And she talked about how each hilltop was higher than the previous hilltop. But when you went back down, like here's the here's the baseline. You have a, a hilltop back down to the valley, hilltop back down to the valley, hilltop back down to the valley. Notice you're never going any lower than you were originally, but because you're going higher, it can feel lower. You see that? It's a bigger drop down. But if you go into your lessons with the willingness to learn your lessons, or with the willingness to see what's really going on and let go of ego and rest, accept, and trust, and you know, all that stuff that we know, then the next hilltop is even higher. And of course, she talks about how eventually she reached a hilltop where she never had to go into the valley again. And I haven't been in the valley in, in a long, long, long time. I don't know exactly how long. Um, but it's been long enough that I can't remember the last time, <laughs> unless that happened to be November, 2019. I'm not sure if there's been another one since then or not. That's the last one I remember. And so it feels different. It's like I said to Jasmine, I don't feel like myself. Yeah, you know, I, I, but, um, as crazy as this sounds, I'm in love with it because I've experienced this pattern before with other things. And um, 
And I know that it's advancing, although it's hard to even say that. The reason it's hard to say that is the ego interprets it as the retreat that Jesus says the ego will interpret it as. And so it's hard to call it advancing because then the ego's sitting there whispering, liar, 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 liar. But we all know who the liar is here, right? It's the ego. It's also hard to call it advancing because, you know, you don't have the end of the story yet. You don't know how long it will take. You don't know what you'll go through. You don't know anything. So it feels more like being lost. That's what it feels like. But that's not what it is. Uh, someone wrote, I really needed to hear this today as I feel that I have been hanging out in the valley a lot lately. <laughs> I'm so grateful to you. Thank you. That's good. I'm help I'm happy that it's helpful. Um, it's important for us, I think, because I think we can use the valley uh, more efficiently if we understand it for what it is. I think that if we don't understand it for what it is, we're much more likely to fall into the ego's judgments and listen to the ego and believe the ego and not use the valley efficiently, right? Maybe not learn our lesson, whatever that lesson was this time around, because we were too involved in believing the ego. So that's why it's important to know what this is like. So if I go back to out of the stillness, again, this is talking about me and my current lesson, what I just talked about applied to any lesson, right? <laughs> but going back to me and my current lesson, how do I assume the world is real? Every time I react to a situation in the world, that reaction is backed by an assumption that the world is real. Every time I am engaged by thoughts regarding some world-based story, that interest is backed by an assumption that the world is real. Now, here's a sign of progress, you know, and I'll explain this to you. I don't actually get caught in thought stories that much anymore about anything. Like, I, I don't, you know, I may be feeling the sadness. I may be waking up with the sadness but I'm not walking around with stuff running around in my head about Israel and Gaza or about uh, you know, not getting married or about the house not being ready yet when it was supposed to be ready in September. <laughs> All this stuff is actually, here's the funny part, is actually pretty easily accepted. And there aren't stories running around in, in my head about it. So to some degree, it is clear I'm not as attached to the world as I once was. Because at least part of this does appear to be transcended. I don't have all these mental stories running around. You know, I'm really focused on uh, the present and whatever is right in front of me right now. And I don't think a lot about what's not right in front of me right now. Which is probably why, again, when I had that sadness in Sedona, and Jasmine asked what it was, I couldn't even tell her. If I'd had stories running around in my mind, I'd have been able to tell her a story about why I was sad, right? But there were no stories running around my mind. There was just this sadness. There was just this gray that had been dropped on the earth. I remember thinking, I remember thinking, oh, this is what depression feels like because <laughs> I've never had depression. But I was like, oh, this is what people experience. You know, I understand now what they experience. Um, <clears throat> so again, I, every time, I am engaged by thoughts regarding some world-based story. That interest is backed by an assumption that the world is real. But I personally don't, don't really experience stories like that anymore. But if I did, obviously, that would be backed by an assumption that the world is real. <clears throat> How can I release the assumption that the world is real and realize true self? 
which this assumption hides. Now, this is interesting. I'm going to look at this a little more slowly. Because remember, I wrote this back in 2012. Here's what I wrote. Do not trust my perceptions or my thoughts. So let me tell you something else that happened. I don't remember if it was the same day or the next day, but it was, you know, shortly after October 7th, which is when this Hamas and Israeli thing started. Um, I spontaneously remembered, like it just popped into my mind. Oh, I know. I think I was watching TV when it happened. I think I was watching TV. So it was probably a couple days, a few days in. Israel was bombing, uh, sending missiles into Gaza. And the cameras were there. And, and oh, my gosh. Some of you guys might even know where I'm going as I start with this. <laughs> I could see all of the, you know, on the TV, I could see all of the buildings, you know, that, that had been bombed, that were falling apart. Um, I could see the rubble in the streets. I could see the dead bodies. I could see the people walking around, crying, screaming, you know, where is she? Where is she? And it brought me back to a vision I once upon a time had. Can you guys know what vision that was? Yeah. I had a vision of that exact scene. In fact, I remember saying, that's the scene from my vision. And in my vision, what happened was I was taken then out of form into non-form. And I saw everything differently. I saw everything with gratitude, incredible gratitude, like gratitude that you can't even describe. Uh, exuberant gratitude might be a good way of trying to describe it. Exuberant gratitude. And what was being celebrated was the absolute freedom of consciousness to do whatever it wants without any rules at all, including even this, right? Back to that scene in Gaza. So when I read this line now that says, how can I release the assumption that the world is real and realized self, which this assumption hides? And then the answer I read that I wrote apparently to myself about how many years ago would that have been? 11 years ago. Do not trust my perceptions or my thoughts. Now, again, the thoughts aren't that big of a deal right now. I don't have thoughts going on about Israel being wrong or Hamas being wrong. Believe it or not, I don't have those thoughts. It's more empty, but it's empty and then the sadness. So what I look at this is, is do not trust my perceptions. That's what stands out at me since I don't really have a lot of thoughts about it. Do not trust my perceptions. And then I remember that vision. Like now, if I look with my eyes, with my perceptions, I mean, I don't know if you guys know, I mean, yesterday, a uh, uh, Palestinian refugee center was bombed. It was horrible. Do you know what happened again? They did it again today. So, you know, so I'm watching this, it's that same scene again. In fact, today there was literally a guy again screaming, where is she? Where is she? And on the TV, I heard him, you know, where is she? He's looking for someone. But when I look at that and I see whatever I see, destruction, um, you know, like I said, I haven't been thinking about it. So now I have to think about it to come up with it. Isn't that funny? Uh, you know, victims, victimizers, right, wrong, whatever the heck I think I see when I look at that. I'm not to trust that. Because that's not what's going on. What's going on is the absolute freedom of consciousness to do even this. That's what's going on. 
I can't trust my perception of destruction. That's the only real word I can come up with. So I guess that's really what I saw, destruction. I can't trust my perception of destruction and have exuberant gratitude for the absolute freedom of consciousness at the same time. If I trust my perception of destruction, I'm stuck with the sadness. So I have to distrust my perception even while I'm looking at crumbling buildings and holes where the missiles landed and burn up cars and dead bodies and blood and and people crying out for their loved ones whom they cannot find and of course are absolutely terrified they're dead and most likely right. I can't trust that perception and see truth too. So I have to distrust my perception. That's all. It doesn't ask me to try to see light. It just asks me to distrust my perception. The way A Course in Miracles words that is, you know, that there's got to be another way to see. Right? I'm willing to see differently than this. You would never say, I'm willing to see differently if you fully trust your perception. You can only say, I'm willing to see differently if you have at least some distrust in your perception. When you trust your perception, you're stuck with your perception. Because that's where you put your faith. So how can I release the assumption that the world is real and realize the self which this assumption hides? Answer. Do not trust my perception or my thoughts. And some of y'all still have those thoughts going on. I, I can't actually say that. Glory, hallelujah. <laughs> but some of y'all can, so you got to watch those thoughts too. Whatever your thoughts are about this or anything else that's going on, you have to distrust your thoughts too. You have to. If you want to see beyond them. If you want to know the self, because remember what the seven steps to awakening said. When the world is assumed to be real, the self is not seen. So you can't trust your story thoughts about what's going on and see the self too. It's not, you just can't. So you got to make a choice. What do I want? What do I, it always comes back to that, right? What do I want? We got to remember to ask, what do I want? I think, I think when we get caught up in believing our thoughts are caught up in believing our perceptions. It's because in that moment, we're forgetting to ask, what do I really want? Because that always brings us back, doesn't it? So we, we have to remember to ask, what do I really want? Uh, yeah, Patricia, you want to say something? Yes, um, Regina, thank you. Thank you for everything you're saying, because it's very helpful, especially for me. In this moment, um, today I opened my um, A Course in Miracles, which I don't do often. And it, and I said, it, it just, uh, okay, I'll open it in the page, perhaps where, where I most need it. And it came to the, the simplicity, simplicity of salvation. And it says, how simple is salvation? All it says is what was never true is not true now and never will be. The impossible has not occurred and can have no effects. And that is all. Can this be hard to learn by anyone who wants it to be true? Only unwillingness to learn it could make such an easy lesson difficult. Thank you for sharing. That's perfect. Thank you. All right. Let me, um, let me go back to reading this. Maybe we'll finish this, this one today. <laughs> How can I release the assumption that the world is real and realize the self, which this assumption hides? Do not trust my perceptions or my thoughts. Out of inherent distrust 
which is the opposite of the assumption that the world is real. Check within constantly for how I am to see, what I am to think, what I am to do, if anything. And that, I think, is also a very, very interesting sentence because if I trust my perceptions or trust my thoughts or both, um, I think I know how to see. I think I know how to think, and I think I know what to do, if anything. Right? When, when If I trust my perception, I know how to respond to that perception. If I trust my thoughts, my thoughts are telling me what to do, and I'm going to do what they tell me to do. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to ask unless there's some distrust there. I'm not going to ask how am I to see unless there's at least some distrust that the way I'm seeing must be wrong. You see? I'm not going to ask what am I to think unless there's at least some distrust that these current thoughts that are running up here must not be right. And I'm certainly not going to ask what am I to do, if anything, uh, unless I'm distrusting both my perception and my thoughts. So it's funny, we talk a lot about trust, right? You know, you have to trust the Holy Spirit, trust God, trust spiritual wisdom, trust the Tao, whatever words you want to throw on it. We talk a lot about trust, but here we're looking at the, the right use of distrust. You trust spirit you distrust ego right you trust intuition you distrust thinking you know it, it, so so trust and distrust in a way are partners if they're used correctly Uh, I feel a pause and say, does anybody have anything to say? So maybe somebody does. Who is it? <laughs> maybe I was wrong then. It just felt like somebody had something to say. Lynn, is that you? Okay, go ahead. Well, this was in my mind, and a lot of people will know this, but when you were speaking about that, what came to mind was the, I'm I'm here only to be truly helpful, where it says in there, I don't have to worry about what to do or what to say, because you sent me will direct me, and I'm content to be wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. Well, you would know more about that than I would. Well, not anymore. It's been so long since I've read the course. As you, as you share it, it it sounds familiar, but, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, again, even, you know, why would you, why would you want to be truly helpful if you thought you already knew how to be truly helpful? So that's what we're talking about, right? I, I know I've told you guys the story about the very first time I ever went to a course group. In fact, this is where I got Peace Pilgrim. So I did read, um, uh, Marianne Williams's book first, because then I went to a course group and then they gave me Peace Pilgrim. So that's the order that it happened in. Um, but I was at this course group and and they in this course group, what they argued about, they sat there arguing about what love would do in certain situations. In other words, they each thought they knew what love would do or else they couldn't sit there and argue with each other. So we have to distrust what we even think love would do, right? We have to distrust our thinking and then we can ask, how can I be truly helpful, right? And, and if you've read the teachings of Inner Ramana, Inner Ramana told me not to even trust previous guidance that always ask for the guidance now. Because last time this situation or a situation like this showed up, 
I may have been guided to do such and such. That doesn't mean that when the similar circumstances arise, the same guidance is going to apply. I have to ask again now. So I can't even think that my previous spiritual learning, my previous intuitive guidance applies now. I have to distrust everything except for my current asking and my current response. Now there's a deep humility in that, in recognizing that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. Well, let me um, read this again. Let me start with the seven steps to awakening. Read it again, and then we'll read this again. So um, 343, when the world is assumed to be real, the self is not seen. But when this assumption is discarded, consciousness is realized, or we could say the self is realized. And then out of, out of the stillness, how do I assume the world is real? Every time I react to a situation in the world, that reaction is backed by an assumption that the world is real. Every time I am engaged by thoughts regarding some world-based story, that interest is backed by an assumption that the world is real. How can I release the assumption that the world is real and realize self, which this assumption hides? Do not trust my perceptions or my thoughts. Out of inherent distrust, which is the opposite of the assumption that the world is real. Check within constantly for how I am to see, what I am to think, and what I am to do, if anything. Bravo. Yeah, and, and Melissa is quoting Rupert Spira, the world doesn't disappear, the illusion does. Um, and uh oh someone this is personal someone is saying is anyone else wondering if the house is done yet and what happened with the getting married or not getting married uh, i can give you an update on that um uh what happened briefly in one minute was that my partner's work uh had a uh, something come up that was so critical and so important in fact 450 people's jobs depended on it. Uh, he could not go to Sedona with me. He had to stay and work this project. Um, and so we did not get married. However, uh, it wasn't a breakup or anything like that. Right now we are rescheduled to get married on December 10th. And uh, should happen here in Colorado. Uh, we're gonna do in Colorado, they uh, allow what is called a self-solemnized wedding which believe it or not is when the bride and groom marries themselves. You don't need a, a minister or anybody. So we have this really sweet ceremony that we wrote uh, where his son, my daughter, my mother, and the two of us will do the ceremony. And then, you know, Ron and I will share our vows and um, declare ourselves man and wife. And there will be a wedding certificate and all that. At least that's the plan. You know, we'll see what actually happens as time goes forward. But that's the current plan. As far as the house, uh, no, it's not done. <laughs> and uh, there's almost nothing left to be done. But because we are out in the country, I guess, and because most of the subcontractors have already moved on to other projects that are keeping them busier, our builder is having trouble getting the subcontractors to come back and do the last little tiny thing they have to do. It's like they don't want to drive all the way out there for just that when they could be doing this other project. So uh, it's like weeks pass with nothing getting done. Um, however, our furniture, our new, we bought new furniture for the new house. The furniture was delivered yesterday at the house, even though it's not yet ours. And the internet is being turned on today at the house, even though it's not yet ours. So it's kind of funny. There's like a moving forward 
and a not moving forward at the same time. And it'll be fun to see how they catch up with each other. So that's the personal update. Okay. I'll see y'all next week. Love you.